Welcome back, y'all, to the Alex and Mo. I am a PT podcast, and we are still in the month of October, where it's National Physical Therapy Month, and we are so blessed to be teaming up with a fellow podcaster, and he is also a professor, branded the Professor of Profit, Dr. F. Scott Field. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. I love what you're doing. Uh, I love anybody who's out there doing great things and and trying to amplify, you know, voices. I think that you guys are are, are a prime example of those that we need to spotlight and get out there. So I'm I'm very excited to uh, collaborate with you on this and uh, release it both on on your podcast and on the healthcare education transformation podcast too. So uh, this will be a good conversation tonight for sure. But yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. I'm pumped to be here finally. Absolutely. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, obviously, we know you uh, time is of, of essence and uh, we really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us uh, this evening to, to talk about this this topic, which I think we you know have hit on on some previous episodes, probably not to the detail that we will get to it uh, this evening, but nonetheless, a, a very important topic. Um, you know, with where we are as a profession and where our our future colleagues are starting off and, you know, whether they're starting off behind the eight ball or, you know, there's many different takes on it. Uh, kind of leading into this conversation was kind of interesting. Uh, I saw on Twitter today that I guess uh, since, you know, COVID started a couple years back, uh, the healthcare profession has lost a ton of of professionals, uh, specifically in PT, and I don't know the sources. I didn't, I didn't dig too deep into it, but allegedly there was about twenty two thousand therapists uh, that left the profession, uh, and that's physical therapists uh, among some other healthcare providers. So, you know, it, it brings into question when we're losing therapists. Uh, for whatever reason, burnout, uh, stress, uh, low pay, you know, um, amongst other things. But then the new ones that were coming in, like, are they coming in equipped to to be able to step in, not only from a clinical standpoint, but just from a financial standpoint? Like, can you make your ends meet uh, with what we're being paid? Um, I think when we had Allie last week, she said, Mo, and correct me if I'm wrong, like in Pittsburgh, somebody's making about 50K, 60K if, if they're lucky uh, coming out of school. So, yeah, it, it doesn't seem too promising. Yeah, I mean, you know, debt to income ratio, right? That's like kind of the number one thing. And, and like you were talking about, Alex, the stat from earlier today, you know, 22,000, that's almost 1% of the, the profession, right? If we figure there's about 330,000 PTs in the nation, right? 22,000 puts us at pretty close to 1% there, you know, that's scary. Uh, and I saw another stat earlier today that uh, this is the third year in a row now that college um, admissions in general have gone down, right? So we're dealing with a lot there. There's a lot to unpack and it's not as simple as saying, oh, it's too expensive nowadays, or, you know, oh, it's the debt to income ratio right? It, it, there's a lot of factors here, right? And we probably don't have enough time to, to cover them all, but we can talk about solutions. I think that's going to be one of our biggest things here today, right? 
let's let's just start with a real quick uh, overview of debt to income ratio, right? I happen to be this is really fortuitous timing because I'm I'm presenting up at ELC this weekend in Milwaukee on on the student loan debt crisis, so I think it's good timing. Um, I worry a little bit about you know the profession in that people are going to start saying, well, the debt to income ratio is too high. I'm graduating, making a hundred, you know, maybe a hundred thousand at best. And my debt is 200,000 or 150, right? The newest stat from CSM last year was the average DPT student graduates with about $154,000 worth of student loan debt. That's average, right? So, okay. Let's just say that debt to income ratio is bad and getting worse, right? Pittsburgh is a perfect example. They they really have been getting hit hard the last couple of years on on salaries, for whatever reason. You know, it's a big city. Uh, there's a lot of people there to to help fill jobs, so they feel like they can pay whatever they want and people will fill them. You know, it's kind of like Austin. Austin's another good example, uh, close to where I live here. You know, they they can lowball new grads because people want to live in Austin. It's a popular city to be in. So they come here and they say, all right, we'll pay you fifty five, sixty five thousand out of the gate. And it's like, okay, like and, and people will take it because they're like, that's fine. I just want to live in Austin. I'll just work there and do that. Right. And again, like it's partially our fault, right? We're lowballing ourselves by accepting positions like that, right? But let's look at the bigger picture. I think physical therapy is still a great profession. You know, when when people come in, they ask me, hey, because of that debt to income ratio and all these issues going on and burnout and all this, is it still worth it to go into it? And I would argue it's just like any profession. It's just like any job. It's just like any major that you go into. Right. It's whatever you make of it. So luckily for physical therapy, we have so many options available to us that we can make of it whatever we want, right? We know more than 94 to 96% of the population when it comes to musculoskeletal disorders, right? We can take that knowledge and turn it into, you know, ways to help people, right? Whether it just be one-on-one patient care, or maybe you're in a practice where you're seeing two or three at a time, right? Not ideal, but it happens. Throughout the day, maybe you see 10 to 20 patients a day. Maybe it's a little more, but hopefully not. But let's say you're seeing 10 to 20 a day. That's great. You are impacting the lives of 10 to 20 people every day. But what if we were to take our skill sets and things that we learned in graduate school, right? Like prioritizing, right? Systematizing, right? Learning how to to study and learn and then teach and educate, right? If we took those things and we apply them to some form of model that helps not just a one-to-one patient we're treating that day, but one-to-many, now we're having a bigger impact, right? And when you're teaching one to many, there's a strong chance that you're going to be making a lot more money than just what you make on your salary. You know, so so I always kind of start with the preface of it's really what you make of it. And if you feel that you can just go in and clock in and clock out and be a nine to five therapist, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But I don't think that's really enough. And I don't think that's practicing at the top of your license because there's so much more you can be doing, most of which will help bridge the, the salary gap that you're looking to get to if you do it, you know, if you just implement, if you take the right steps to do more and to be more. And I'm not talking about working eight hours a week here, right? I'm not talking about burning yourself out. I'm not talking about running yourself ragged into the ground here. We're just talking about doing the thing that you love to do and help people and finding a way to scale it so that it's not just one-to-one, 
you know, making that bigger impact, impacting more people and finding ways to leverage it so that you can get paid what you're worth. So that's my um, box. I like that. Um, I often tell people that you can be successful in physical therapy as long as you work on thinking outside the box. And you hear the pushback. Well, you didn't graduate with 140 something thousand dollars in student loans. You did. didn't start off with the same things that I started off because you had an advantage. And we heard the same thing about the mm -hmm. equity and the equality and stuff like that. But there are people who have successful roadmaps, like some of the programs that you have. Um, some people aren't built to multitask, meaning they can't focus on having, or they don't have the discipline to focus on multiple streams of revenue to support or supplement a full-time salary job, or they, they don't have the testicular fortitude to, <laughs> to take the risk of being an entrepreneur because business is not for the faint of heart. So I know I didn't do research on revenue at all when I said I wanted to become a physical therapist. I just knew that that's what I was going to be. I didn't know anything about the cost. I didn't know how much I was going to be earning when I graduated. So all that was foreign to me. I just knew what I wanted to be. And I'm finding out, because I do work with students, that a lot of them say after the fact that I wish I had done more research. How can we and you, professors of profit, other business owners, even those in academia, better educate those in middle school or high school of the cost benefit of being a physical therapy assistant, a physical therapist? How can we do better at that? Because we need to go upstream before they get committed to something because it's hard to start a program spending 140 something thousand dollars in student loan and be burned out like two years in and wanting to change to go into a different career. That's a lot of money and a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, there's, okay. So if, if we back it up a little, right. So I, w I went to PT school when it was a master's program. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to a private school for undergrads so that cost me a pretty good penny. I had to take out, my parents helped a little bit with that, but I took out most of that student loan, the state school for a master's program. I worked while I was doing that. So I paid that off while I was in school. Then the transitional doctorate at a, at a, a, pr a private school and then the EDD at a private school as well. So I ended up with $140,000 worth of student loan debt uh, and, you know, two doctoral degrees to show for it, neither of which I really wanted to use traditionally. But uh, that's a whole nother story for another day. Right. So so the, the first step there is to to realize that, OK, there's going to be some cost associated with it. Right. We don't know. I mean, you may be better off. You may have you know benefits and, and you know wealthy parents who can pay for it or you know maybe you have some scholarships you fit into some really good niches that have good scholarships great 
there's some cost associated with education. If you're choosing to go down that route, then yeah, you've got to do the research, right? But at the very end of the day, even if entrepreneurship is not your thing and you don't want to be a business owner, you don't want to start a side business, that's fine. But you have to at least do the own, your own research to know enough and have enough business acumen to say, this is a good contract, I should sign this, or no, I'm going to go back and, and try to negotiate this. Or, hey, these perks and benefits aren't enough. This isn't going to cover it. Can you do this, this, and this? Or, hey, that's a red flag. I'm running away from this one. This one makes no sense to sign for it, right? So you've got to at least have business acumen, know how business works, so that when you go to sign up for your first job or second job, whatever it may be, you know what to look for and what to avoid, right? But then, like you said, it's got to start before grad school. And unfortunately, that's kind of what our presentation at ELC is about, saying, hey, Financial literacy should not be an issue by the time we get to grad school. It needs to be addressed in grade school. I mean, we need to be teaching young kids about financial literacy. I remember back when I was in high school, the only real finance course I took was um, economics. And all we really learned was supply and demand and, you know, natural resources and, you know, what things were worth and why and trade and that was really it, right? I should have been learning how to balance a checkbook. I should have been learning credit cards and interest rates. I should have been learning how to buy a house. You know, all of these things that are like life skills, I feel like that would have been way more important than the supply and demand curve. You know, so I think it's got to happen earlier. And I think it's going to honestly take grassroots efforts from business owners and people like us to go out there and do that. The unfortunate thing is that a lot of us don't have the time because we are running businesses and doing things. You know, so it's it's tough for us to get out there. But one of the things I do, you know, I just did it recently here at a local kids entrepreneurs after school group, which was pretty cool. I got to talk to them and I do a lot of like volunteer talking to younger groups about entrepreneurship and how to get involved and why it's important. And, and I say like right up front, hey, it's not for everybody. Totally OK. But the more you know about it, the better prepared you'll be to make those decisions when it comes down to a, an ROI or a return on investment. You know, and truth be told, I didn't think 140,000 and two doctoral degrees was worth it. You know, and I'm in education now, right? I'm teaching now, right? However, the one thing I did learn through all my mentors and all the things I've, I've learned is it doesn't matter as long as you leverage it. Doesn't matter the degrees, doesn't matter the license, just leverage it. And luckily, I've been able to do that, right? With some of the professors of profit programs, I've been able to kind of take my curriculum development from the EDD and help build courses online and help, you know, other healthcare providers build courses. My BA in English, I've, you know, written blogs, my own blogs, right? I've done a lot of copywriting over the last couple of years. And then I, per, you know, I wrote a book as well, right? So I use those skills and parlayed them into a writing portion of the career, right? Then I, I kind of used a lot of my teaching and, and even acting skills from back in high school, right? I was in all the plays and the musicals and stuff. And, you know, I played a bunch of sports and st student union president. I was involved in everything. And a lot of those people skills and those personality type skills and being from New York didn't hurt too, I think. But, you know, it, it kind of taught me early on how to get in front of people and how to be forward facing and how to interact. And I think that helped with, you know, things like YouTube and, and social media and podcasting, right? And stuff like that, you know, and then little known fact, I was a radio DJ in college too. So I think that just kind of carried over eventually. And it, 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 you know, became one of the things I, I really love doing in my part time. So 
you know, you gotta, you've got to find that zone of genius, like I like to call it, that one thing that you love, that you're passionate about, that you just want to get up and do every day, right? And for me, it, it really is my side business, right? That's the stuff, business coaching, educating, all that stuff. That's what I love to do. I still love teaching. I love my nine to five. It's a great nine to five. But the thing that gets me up and really gets me passionate is is the the coaching and the the business stuff. So I found my niche. I found my zone of genius, and I'm I'm going all in on that as much as I can in my free time. You know. So if you can find that, and the good thing with physical therapy, like we talked about at the beginning, there's eight to ten different specialties you can go into, right? And then after that, there's four or five different settings, right? And then after that, there's like five or six different layers that you can go into on those same settings and those same populations and everything. So, you know, the, it, it's really endless, you know, the, the amount of things that we can do. So it's just a matter of, of picking your thing, whatever you, it is that you love and then leaning all in on it. You know, you, you made a, well, you brought up a good point. You know, I feel like myself included, granted, I did a residency straight out of PT school. Um, but even in that was involved, but you brought up the idea of knowing or having enough business acumen to understand your contract, just your contract. We're not talking about you starting a business or, or doing anything, but just when you sit down with a potential employer, they per present an offer, lay out everything for you, like having enough sense to know what it is that you're looking at and and what works, what doesn't work. And obviously that's gonna be a, a unique situation. Every body's situation is gonna be different. Their needs are different. Some things may be more important than others depending on the situation. But in your program, cause you, you are teaching, like, do you guys address that? Because I feel like as a whole in DPT education, we are just setting them up to fail in a sense, because we give them enough clinical information to pass a test, right? It's like you're being taught to pass the board exam so that you can then practice, but at the same time makes the school look good because, hey, all our students pass on their first try or whatever the case may be. But then the minute that you now become alumni, you are a licensed individual, you're kind of on your own, kind of depending on what may or may not have happened in your program. And then you, if you're lucky, you fall into a, a mentor, whether it be locally or through the awesome, amazing world of Twitter, where we have the opportunity to interact with people. You know, you see it all the time. Some, you know, up and coming uh, therapists are like, hey, what should I look for? Has anybody done this? You know, and that's luckily we have that. But I feel like this is stuff that we should be doing for them in school. I mean, we've got three years of DPT education. And later on, I'm going to discuss that with you because uh, not too long ago, I think it was last week, you you know, posed some different questions regarding the length of, of our current programs, which I definitely want to hit on with you. But I just feel like we're not using our time with the students effectively like i don't i don't feel like we're squeezing everything out of it that we probably should what, what are your thoughts on that no you're you're absolutely right alex you bring up a lot of good points there and and the only way that i was 
okay ethically and morally taking a position as a professor at a private university that charges a lot of money was being okay with the fact that, A, I went there, so I know how expensive it is. I've, I've got the bill to prove it, right? And B, I wanted to be able to weave in a lot of my teachings and stuff into the curriculum so that they know at least some real life stuff of what you're going to be facing, right? So for me, it was a perfect fit because one, you know, I they, they're not lying when when a, a program says there's just so much stuff to fit into that to teach them for the NPTE that we just don't have time to teach outside of that. It's, it's very true. I'm seeing it firsthand. It is a lot of curriculum to shove into two, three, four years, whatever it may be. And, you know, I get that. You've got to pass the NPTE, right? But at the end of the day, I do feel like there has to be a good balance of NPTE stuff and then real world, real life stuff, right? It's that kind of that dichotomy, that separation between the ivory tower of academia and then clinical world, right? There's always that that divide, and we're trying to bring it closer and closer together, especially with things like the HET podcast, right? So for me, I teach the business and admin course for my program, which is great because I can naturally weave that in now. Right. But I also teach things like geriatrics, where I talk a lot about home health and sniff and, you know, things that I've done and have loved and what it really looks like. Right. Hey, look, home health is a great option. You get paid very well. Your schedule's flexible. I loved it. It's a great, great setting. However, you know, documentation can be a beast. Starter cares can be a beast. See if you can negotiate not having to do starter cares. I did on my last job. It was PRN, but you know, some, some companies will do that. Well, they'll just let wait, them wait, wait. You, you negotiated not being able to. I did. I did. Oh, I, I did. You need evals. To too from now. I did evals. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you this with this new Oasis, that might be factoring into some things moving forward, man, because this new Oasis I know, is, man. There's no joke. <laughs> I the first time I ever did a start of care, four hours. It took me four hours. Ooh. Now I got better at it and I uh, you know got it down. But even still, I was still around two fifteen, two and a half to like really uh, get one knocked out properly, you know. Uh so yeah, the nurses did all our start of cares unless I, it, there are some occasions where the doctor said uh, PT only, no nursing, in which case I did have to go out and do the start of care. But other than that, that happened very infrequently. Uh, they just needed a PT to do their uh, their evals. They had their PTAs and stuff. They just needed a PT. So I I went out and I did that stuff for, for PRN. It was great. I, I had a really good good company working with me there. But, you know, I think from from a big picture standpoint, it's like, okay, if you're not taking it upon yourself to weave real life pearls into your curriculum, then yeah, you're, you're probably not doing enough and you're probably not doing it right. One of the things that I made sure of on top of weaving it into my classes and my curriculum and my real life everyday teaching, we started the business entrepreneurs and private practice student special interest group at St. Augustine, right? So that started on the Austin campus. It's now trying to reach out to all five campuses, which will be nice. We're probably three out of the five so far have it on campus. Um, and again, that's an, that's an extracurricular student special interest group that meets once a month. We have a guest lecturer come in and then there's some uh, business meetings quarterly. Uh, but, you know, we just have them come in and talk about business. We have them talk about private practice. We have them talk about online businesses. We have uh, we had Chris Gronkowski on recently to talk about Ice Shaker, his company up in Dallas. Right. Uh, we you know, we had Ke Kelly Sturrett come on. Right. Just people that are definitely thinking outside the box and doing different things and, and that are just good business leaders. Right. They have because, again, most businesses are more alike than they are different. Right. They have principles that just work. 
And so, again, I feel like if we can teach those things and, and weave those things in and we tell them, hey, look, again, you don't have to be an entrepreneur to be interested in this stuff and be in the group. We had Ben Fung come on to talk about negotiating and red flags and how to, you know, talk to your employer in interviews and how you should be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you, especially early on in your career. Right. You're trying to do that dance and figure out if it's a good fit. So, you know, it, it, the group itself is very, very helpful to those that are students and that just don't, you know, they don't know. Um, and again, all of our meetings are open to everyone. So anyone can attend any of the guest lectures and stuff. We record all of them, put them up on YouTube and they're in, you know, a YouTube library now so people can go watch the replays. And then, you know, on top of that, we've started uh, ordering some business books uh, through our budget. We get a budget every every trimester and we've ordered a couple business books and we're putting them in the library in a special business section. So if students have interest in business and just want to learn about it, they can go and check out some of those resources. Right. We're trying to make it as easy as possible, knowing that, hey, they've got classwork. They've got a course load they've got to get through, right? And so, yeah, I'm going to coach and teach toward the NPTE for sure, especially in my classes, because I have to hit those benchmarks and stuff. But I'm not a huge grade fan, you know? It's The grades are irrelevant to me. It's like, did you learn something? Did you take away something from this course? And can I teach you a little bit of the real world to get you prepped and ready? You know, and then if anybody ever has any questions, my office hours are always open. People scheduled with me before to just talk about, hey, what should I do? I'm thinking about going into this or I'm thinking about doing that. Luckily, I've done most of it all in my 16 years, so I can kind of speak to a lot of it. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think, it, again, it's up going above and beyond that nine to five clock in, clock out professor or therapist or whatever. You've got to just want to do more and be more. And again, like I've had a great career. Uh, my business is, is doing well. So I just that this is my way of giving back, you know, like anything I can do to help, especially students like, hey, man, I was there. I went through it. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. It's, it's not fun. You know, I get it. But once you get on the other side, it, to me, it's been totally worth it. And again, it's just because I feel like I've leveraged it very well and had really great mentors, which I wish was around when I graduated. You know, none of that was around when I graduated PT school. Otherwise, you know, my life would have been probably drastically different. But, uh, you know, we have it now. The Internet's made the world a very small place and the PT world especially is even smaller. You know, it can all pretty much be found on Twitter nowadays. So, uh, you know. Times are good, man. It's a good time to be alive. It's a good time to be a PT for sure. Yeah, um, most most definitely. So along with having the roadmap and talking about multiple revenue streams, you talked about podcasting for, for profits. And I'm sure this is something Alex is also interested in too, because we didn't really start this podcast to, to make money. We just wanted to create a platform because we talk a lot, like on Twitter, we have our views. So we're like, look, let's just channel it and invite people and have like fireside discussions virtually. But I had someone ask me, how are you going to make money with podcasting? Isn't that going to consume a lot of your time that, you know, you're already running short on? But I'm, I'm realizing there is so much opportunities um, with YouTube channels, monetizing stuff, even with social media, you have business owners still arguing that using social media to promote or market your business doesn't make sense. I've had heard business owners say that social media is a devil. And 
it is the cheapest form of marketing that has been available to me. Yeah. Yeah, we're in a so, good time. Yeah. So how do you convince people set in that mindset that, hey, you could do podcasting for profit. You can do Instagram to monetize and or Facebook. Because I definitely get a check every month from Facebook for Instagram on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, A, you may not be able to convince them, right? A lot of uh, the older business folks are kind of set in their ways and they do, you know, anti, they're very anti-social media. I get it, man. But like, if I can show metrics and just be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Hey, here's here's the monetization that I'm coming up with. You know, and I'm not that good at it. Like, I'm decent, but like, here, look, it, it works. Like, if you just do this, it'll work, you know? And then it's up to them to like, it, it, it's a very internal conversation that they need to have and realize that, like, hey, are you just afraid of it because you don't know how it works and what's going on? Totally cool. That's that happens. You know, we all get that way. Can you put your ego aside for a little bit and say, hey, maybe this does work and we should try it? If that's the case, Again, you don't have to learn it all. You don't have to be good at it. You can outsource it. You can pay somebody to do it for you, right? But I do recommend, you know, and this is what I've done with all of my side hustles and side gigs is I've tried them. I've done them. I've, I've gotten my feet wet. You know, I've tested the waters to see because even if I don't like it, I know enough at least to pick the person that I know to outsource to because I know they know what they're talking about, Right. So, you know, SEO, for instance, right? That's not something I'm huge into. I know it matters and it can help. It can, you know, drive search engine stuff for sure, but I'm not great at it. I, I think naturally it'll just come with blogging and stuff, right? I think that'll help with the, you know, my, my website and stuff, but I couldn't run an SEO campaign for myself. I know the things that are involved. I know I need backlinks. I know I need, you know, plenty of blogs and keywords and all of this stuff. I don't, know that I have the time, effort, or energy to do all that at a really high level, but I know a couple of people that I could ask, like, hey, I really need your services. This is what I'm focusing on for the next six months. Could you help me start getting this, you know, SEO juice going? You know, and I feel comfortable going to those three or four people because I know they're experts in it. I've seen their work. I know people they've worked with. You know, I've done my research and vetted them. So I know at this point, I, a lot of my call friends at this point, which is great. You know, it's, it's always good to have people that you, you know, are close with that, you know, can get the job done and get results for their people. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the podcasting for profits thing, I talked about that at PPS uh, last year and then at CSM early this year. And uh, it, it's amazing. Right. We, we, we started the HET podcast, not not again, not to make money or anything. It was because we were generally curious. We had bumpy rides, Brandon and myself going through grad school. And we just thought that a lot of things could have been done better. We just didn't know the answers because we weren't academicians. We weren't teaching at the time, you know. So we had the experts on to talk about what they thought was broken and how they would go about fixing it. And that worked for a really long time. You know, we're, we're still going six, seven season at this point, you know. And, and we have fortunately been, been able to partner up with some really good sponsors that have uh, – you know, uh, made the podcast profitable. And uh, for next year, 2023, we have even bigger plans for expansion. I brought on a bunch of new co-hosts. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a really good time. And, and again, you know, relatively profitable, not to say that it was easy, not to say that it didn't take time. I didn't just wake up with a profitable podcast. That's not how it worked at all. But, you know, it, if you put in the work and do the reps and it's something you're truly passionate about and you love to do, 
eventually it just kind of happens, right? You find good fits, your network grows, you kind of have people reach out to you even say, hey, I'm really interested, you know, do you do podcast sponsorship? You know, I've had that a couple of times now happen over the last couple of weeks. So it's, it's nice to be in that position, you know, but, uh, you know, at the same time, it also needs to make sense for you and your audience too. It needs to be a good fit. Otherwise, you know, you won't see us pitching purple mattresses anytime soon. I don't think, uh, even though everybody's got to sleep and I know how important sleep is, uh, it's just not really a great fit for our audience. You know, we want something that they're going to be able to, to use and benefit from. So we try to keep our alignments uh, straight with our, our, sponsors you know but um yeah i've got a a, a youtube link on the channel there uh, if you go to youtube.com backslash pt educator there's a um about an hour and a half talk on podcasting for profits i believe it was from csm uh last year so i'll send you guys that link and twitter there and you can watch yeah, them in any ways that you can monetize a podcast uh that that would be great um especially for you know students it, it's hard to have a job while in PT school, I see no reason why they can't do podcasting. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, a lot of us love to talk anyway, and we have valuable opinions. So, and YouTube, it's free. Yeah. Free. No, Instagram Live, it's free. Uh, I think it's Periscope on Twitter. So yeah, utilize, utilize these mediums to try to make money. I mean, Alex always talks about us being at the kitty table and tied to that is that a lot of us are so used to trading or time for money. We need yeah. to see a direct transaction. So it's so hard to think outside the box that, Hey, if I do this or produce that episode, it's going to increase my networking and open me up to other possibilities and opportunities and, I don't know, maybe the more people they see being successful at it, it will start to sink in that it can be done. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so. Well, you bring up a really good point, though, Mo, right? It doesn't happen overnight. You didn't wake up successful. Like, you guys have been doing this for a little while, right? We've been doing it for a little while. It, it's, it's literally five to ten years of hard work, and then you become successful. And they say, oh, look at this lucky guy. He was overnight success. No, it was ten years of hard work. Then an opportunity came and we, because of the hard work, we were able to pounce on that opportunity at the right time and, and take it on, you know, ready to go. So like, it doesn't come easy. None of it does. Right. But if it did, like everybody would be doing it. Right. And I think one of the key takeaways there is that when you do these things, right, when you write a book, when you start a podcast, when you start an Instagram page, when you do things with regularity over and over and over and you keep showing up with value and you keep showing up with a servant's heart, trying to help people and bring value, provide value, eventually you also establish authority and expertise, in that thing, whatever it is, right? Whatever your niche is. So like I, I now have the expertise and authority to talk on five or six different topics or revenue streams pretty well. Like I've got them dialed in at this point, right? And I feel comfortable talking about them, whether it be giving a speech somewhere or whether it be presenting somewhere. I got another book in the works. I probably got five total in a series that I'm looking over the next five years. I'm pretty excited about. But like, again, it's just, I, I like to operate at a level that that's always weird outside the box thinking just like, Hey, to me at this point, patient care is easy. I can close my eyes and do that. Right. 
teaching still a work in progress, right? I'm only about two years in. So I, I still need, you know, to work on my flow and crafting things and getting my point across and, you know, telling stories and, you know, definitely using metaphors and things to try to relate to students because they all kind of learn a little differently. But, you know, I, I, I just feel at this point, teaching and educating has become really, you know, one of my areas of expertise as well, right? I've got the, the, the credentials for it. So either you get the credentials, the certifications, the letters after your name, whatever, or you start and, and document your journey and eventually become the expert through the journey. And then you show people, look, look at the last five years. That's my journey to get me to this expertise level where I'm successful and I'm doing all the things that you want to do. And worst case scenario, let me mentor you. I'll speed up your timeline. That's, you know, that's one way I can help. You know, if you want to go at it by yourself and do it all alone, you can. It's just going to take you five, ten years. No problem. It's nothing wrong with that either. You know, but that's that's always my kind of, you know, talk, my 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 soapbox talk when it comes to paid mentorship and, and all these, you know, coaching programs and stuff. It's like, hey, if somebody's done it already, they've been there, they've done that, you know, and they'll speed up my timeline, show me how to do it. I'm in, man. Sign me up. Time is time is more more meaningful to me these days than the money is because I know the money will come back. You know, it's, it's, it's just more about the mentorship and speeding things up. So, so you, uh, well, I'm sorry. you bring up the, the mentorship, right? So I'm a firm believer that in order for, for you as an individual to value something that somebody else may have, or maybe offering, like you got to have skin in the game. Right. If you don't have any skin in the game, you're just not going to value it. It's just like when we have conversations about, you know, whether it be side hustles or a cash based business, if we don't price it accordingly, people won't value it. Right. We can't give our services away for free because then if it's free, you know, the argument can be made. Well, what value does it bring if you if there's no you can't you know, put a, a price to it per se, right? Yeah. Paid for pays attention, right? I mean, when you're paying for something, you're damn well sure you better get your money out of it, you know? So you're, yeah. you're, you're locked in, you're, you're focused. So what do you say to those individuals? And I've seen this on, on Twitter before, and I think uh, probably like a month or two back, it kind of sparked a, an interesting conversation where, you know, you have those people saying, why, does it cost so much? Why should somebody spend thousands, if not more of dollars to learn, or, or as you said it, to speed up, right? To, to, to pay for the time, basically. You're paying for somebody's time and their experiences to help fast track your time. But if we're saying that, hey, these PT students, they're coming out with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. But now we're asking them to spend thousands of dollars to get this knowledge, right? And again, for everybody out there, I will repeat again, if you don't have any skin in the game, you're not going to take it seriously, right? I'm not going to value you if I'm not giving you anything of mine, right? That's how I value it. If I get, it's an exchange. I give in this hypothetical situation, I give you money, you're going to give me something in return, right? And now I determine the value of what you're giving me and if it's worth the price. Because as as has always been said 
uh, in the Twitter world is like price is what you pay, value is what you're getting in return, right? Exactly. So there, there has to be, and, and only you can make that equation work, right? We all here have our likes. We all, we the, the finer things that we like and the things that we will spend money on. Everybody does. Everybody has those one or more than one things that they like to spend money on. And somebody else may look at it and say, and you're crazy for spending X amount of dollars on that thing. But the value that that individual gets makes that money worth it. Right? So, but what do you say to those people that are saying these students are coming out, they've had all this money, like where are they getting this money from or why should they spend thousands? Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, the big thing is it's perceived value, right? Again, the price is irrelevant, right? It, to me, it's like, Hey, either, you know, the, the price that I'm going to offer for whatever this is, uh, is going to bring you the thing that you need right? Which is the perceived value. Like, yeah, I need that. So if you're able to give that to me or, or figure out a way to, for me to get that, then it's worth the value, right? So in in my mind, the, the case then becomes, yeah, okay, are we going to speed up your timeline, right? Or, or better yet, can I give to you? Can I, can I get you to a point? Of, can I give you the deliverables that will get you the transformation that you're looking for? Can I get you from point A to point B, right? And point A is usually, you know, for me and, and, and my clients, it's usually like either new grad or, you know, somebody who's been in it for a couple of years, but is already burning out or is, you know, super stressed and concerned about their high student loan rates, right? Well, okay. If let's say you're in $140,000 worth of student loan debt, right? Like I was, and you have a plan set out to pay that off over 20 years, paying $150 a month for those 20 years. And then on the 20th year, they forgive whatever's left and you have to give, you know, pay taxes on the on the forgiveness amount, right? Like you earned it, like salary. That's very much in line with the repay, right? The revised pays you earn plan. Um, okay, well, what if I could give you the transformation that would turn you from new grad, burned out physical therapist to new grad physical therapist who is in a new job that's less demanding, maybe not making as much, but is happy, right? And has a side business that's bringing in enough money that, you know, let's just say the ROI is, is 5X, right? So let's say my program is, I don't know, $1,000, and I'm able to show you the steps to take to start a business that makes you $5,000 in your first month, right? That's a little more than $1,000 a week which can be done very easily in a lot of different ways. Well, is that 5X return on your investment in yourself worth it? I would argue that it probably is because once I've then paid off that $5,000, you know, or that $1,000 investment with the $5,000, well, now everything else is great, but that's all profit after that, right? And I did that very much so with Facebook ads, right? When I was first starting my mobile practice, I thought I could run Facebook ads. I did it. I was not successful with it. And I was like, oh, man, this sucks. So I, you know, probably burnt through about 1500 bucks worth of Facebook ads before I realized this isn't working. So then I, I took a course, right? I paid $5,000 to a Facebook ad specialist to show me the right way to do Facebook ads. And after that, I got three new patients on the first time I ran a Facebook ad. Those three new patients had a approximate plan of care worth $1,800 cash pay out of pocket, right? So that's 
5,400 bucks right there, right off the bat. Right. And all I did was invest in a $5,000 course. So now the first week I have three patients that are starting with me. Those three patients pay for the course and a little bit of profit. And then every new patient, those Facebook ads bring in is all profit again. Right. So, so again, I was cool with investing in myself to learn more about these courses and learn how to do these Facebook ads, you know? And so again, I'm not great at it, but I'm good enough now where I know what to look for and when to outsource. And so again, I'm a huge believer in investing in myself. Every investment I've ever made in myself has always panned out. I, I've, I've never made an investment in myself and thought, oh man, that was such a huge loss. You know, either, either I took something huge from it and, and implemented it and did better with it, or I, I learned, you know, I was like, ah, well, I was doing this wrong. I got to do this now. Or, oh, well, that's not what I expected it to be. I have to do something else, you know. Investing in yourself has got to be one of the best investments out there, you know. It, it, honestly, it's the only way you're going to get to where you want to go. Like, now, it's easy for us three to say that because we have that mindset. But a lot of people yeah. suffer from imposter syndrome. And if they don't believe that they are worth that investment, they're not going to invest in themselves. Yeah. And discipline and consistency is required to be successful in any business venture. And people give up because they want that instant yeah, overnight success. Yeah. We've been doing this six years in. I mean, well, business-wise or, or more or longer. And they're, they're ups and downs. But we keep going. Um, well, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Well, I was just going to say to kind of piggyback that. I mean, we, we, we continue to go. We go up and down. You know, we go, you know, and as you mentioned, even an investment that is deemed a bad investment, there's a lesson to be learned from it, yeah. right? So in, 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 in truly it is not a bad investment because you still gain something from it. I, I do feel though that there's a certain belief that, and, and not just in our profession, I feel like, I, I honestly feel like in society as a whole, that everybody should have it equal um that we should all be given the same information regardless of the fact that mo may have worked harder for that information or longer for that information that i've worked harder and longer that you worked right so it's almost like hey you guys did the work cool let me get that you know what, you know the thing is we could give people the information. Scott is giving them the information. Yeah. You're giving the information. I'm giving them the information. They get that tons of information on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. But it's all about application. It's yeah. all about the commitment to exactly. do it. And that's why so many people don't get ahead because they fail at doing there, there's a saying that I heard recently. If I can use my experience and learn from it, I'm wise. If I can use the experience of someone else and learn from it, I am blessed. But the person who doesn't learn from their own experience or someone else's experience is a damn fool. Yeah. And we have a lot of fools walking around here. So well, we, we've, got, we've got fools and we've got people, again, just my opinion, uh, there's no work ethic. 
there's no work ethic because because again like we discussed before we said before if you put skin in the game you're going to naturally more often than not going to work a little bit harder right i've spent and it doesn't have it doesn't have to be financial you don't always have to spend money time right but you've put something into it right so but so kind of and you're 100 right it's application and all this stuff that you get with this information because this podcast episode alone has information right you can take and do what you want with it but we're doing it in a manner where it's free right anybody that watches this episode they're going to pick up on tidbits from what scott has said mo has said myself has said now if we turned it into and said hey look this is the preview here's a teaser if you want more this is what it's going to take whether it be time money whatever the case may be right but it's almost like people want the info and the application in one yeah where they don't have to apply themselves right you know it's just like you got the info all right since you got the info like do it for me and and that's just not how it works and i feel like that mentality of just like hey i graduated with a dpt somebody just cut me a check for six figures because i just showed up yeah you know and and that's the the part that that to me is a bit frustrating and and my argument with you know just internal dialogue is when people are saying like well you know you shouldn't have to pay x amount of dollars to get something like what that's the only way you're going to put the work in well and it's the accountability that comes along with it right like i a lot of my information is free right like my book even right my book is like six bucks or something five bucks on amazon kindle right like and i've given the book away for free tons of times if people are just that hard up and they need you know a little help yeah I'll, i'll throw copies of my book left and right it's not that big of a deal I'm cool with that, right? I've given students like PDF versions of my book. There's a copy of the book in the library they can take out. Like, you know, that the, the information is out there. It's not even all my information, right? It's Google. Like you can Google anything you want. But if you're not going to have that accountability and somebody there to check up on you and make sure and push you A, out of your comfort zone and B, into the right things you need to be doing when you need to be doing them, that, you know, again, that that's part of the mentorship is accountability. You know, having skin in the game is having like even paying for some, it's like paying for a personal trainer, right? It's like, I'm not going to get up and work out, but if I'm paying somebody to beat me into, into shape, it's like, all right, well, I need to probably get up and go today. I'm paying for it. I need to show up. If not, I know he's going to keep calling me and calling me and nagging me and like, I got to get up and go. Right. So it's the accountability of like, Hey, did you work on that thing we talked about last week? No, I didn't get around to it. Well, you know, you're not going to get any further than if you don't finish step one. I can't bring you to step two unless you're going to do step one. Right. And it's like you said, like, hey, I can lead the horse to water. I can't make you drink. You know, you've got to implement. You've got to show the step. And again, if, if money is the issue, but you're really like work ethic driven and like you've got a good head on you, and you want to learn more. I'll, I'll work with you. We'll figure something out. You know, I mean, I've given scholarships to my program numerous times, you know, and it's just because I truly believe in the the jockey. Like, I feel like this is somebody who's got their head on right, really wants to benefit themselves. And they will eventually, you know, get to a point where I know they'll cross the finish line. They won't give up until they're there. So I'm, I'm totally fine with that. 
you know, but like I said, you've got to show the right steps. You've got to show the right, you know, implementation and the, and the drive to get there to, to, you know, to, to be somebody who can be considered for something like that, you know? So this is a perfect segue into this very important question, because it seems like, you know, people want to wave a magic wand and student loans disappear. So for, for DPT students, what are the best options for them in terms of repayment and not feeling that they can't come above water in terms of repaying uh, their monthly student loan obligations and while earning uh, average uh, salary and wanting to purchase a house, wanting yeah. to take trips, getting married, having kids, what what are the solutions? Yeah, Give so, us like five, ten solutions. Yeah. The life life decisions are being affected by these student loans, right? We talked about that in our ELC presentation, right? So like, yeah, houses, family, cars, big purchases, like life decisions are being affected. So the first step, the one thing you have to do is talk to a certified financial planner who specializes in student loans because there's eight to 10 different ways to pay back your student loans. Every one of them is different for every person. There's going to be an individual plan that works for you specifically and your goals and what you're trying to accomplish and when you're trying to accomplish them, right? Uh, so, you know, for me, I use Chris Varela at Varela Financial. Um, you know, you guys can can look him up. He's He's been great. Uh, he specifically focuses on DPT student loan repayment. Uh, and, and essentially, like I said, originally I was on the, the straight up plan, which would have had me at $1,700 a month. I switched over to the income driven repayment plan, which dropped me down to about 700 a month. And then eventually I was able to get with Chris and he showed me for what I'm planning to do. The revised pay as you earn plan is what made the most sense because it, I was trying to just take money from my businesses and throw it at big chunks, you know, uh, to knock it down as quick as possible and be done with it. Well, he's like, that could work for sure. But like, that's what banks want you to do. They want you to repay all your money as quick as possible. Right. And, and so he said, why not take the difference in the 700 a month and the 150 a month or so and invest it into something else that's going to make you more money over the 20 years. And then by the 20th year, when you have to repay that for the, you know, the tax break, you'll have plenty of money to repay it and the money you made from investing. Right. So, you know, and again, that doesn't work for everybody. Some people just want to get the debt off their shoulders as quick as possible. Then that's going to be a different plan. Right. Some people want to do it in 10 to 15 years and have a reasonable payment. You know, that's a different plan. So it's going to be very individual and di different for everyone, which is why, again, I, I recommend going to a good certified financial planner, but one that knows about the student loan repayments. That's the first thing. Then the second thing, again, most of the time is start a business. I mean, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I'm an entrepreneur and a business owner. I'm saying that because A, you get taxed differently than if you're just making money as an employer, right? Or employee, I should say, right? You, by owning a business, there's a lot of things you can write off for your business that, that help decrease your overall salary and help you get taxed at a lower level, right? So like, you know, things like printer paper, um, you know, new computer, 
uh, you know, I uh, bought a table, a massage table for my mobile therapy business, right? And like all these things that you're buying for the business can be write-offs, tax write-offs, you know? And again, this isn't certified financial planning here. I'm not a CPA, but I recommend getting with a good local, you know, business CPA, a small business CPA to do your accounting and taxes, but they'll walk you through all the things that you can write off. And the better ones will show you more and more and more things that you can incorporate into your business to help with write-offs. Like you can use your house apparently up to three or four times a year as a business meeting place. Um, if you're hosting like masterminds or you know, courses or things like that, I had never thought about that, but now I might, right? I might start having the, the masterminds and stuff here at my house. You know, you can pay yourself as if you're renting out the house for the mastermind event. And that becomes like a write-off. So it's like, awesome. Did not know about that, right? Eventually, when I start amassing some rental properties like we're trying to do, we could use one of the rental properties as, you know, a, um, a, a house essentially to host one of these, you know, mastermind events or something. So you know, that's something that I'm looking into now as well. There's just, there's so many options out there available. But again, if you start a business, even if you're just making, you know, five to 10 grand extra a year doing this little, you know, hobby, as long as you can stay profitable, you know, A, take that extra chunk of money and do with it whatever you will. But, you know, investing, it's probably a smart idea, but then take the tax breaks and the benefits from the business, you know, and help apply that to offset your, your salary, you know? So, those are just kind of the two or three big tips that I would say the big takeaways of, of what these you know new grads need to be doing. Uh, or if, again, if you're not going that route, then you better negotiate yourself a really good contract. You know, that's hit, sure, that, hit sure. that six figures, get every bit of it. And then some. So um, as we get close to, to kind of wrapping up here, I wanted to circle back to. So I think it was like last week. Um, you know, you had proposed a question on Twitter as to what uh, what changes could be made to the DPT program, right? So a lot of things that we we hear time and time again, you know, the, the increased amount of debt that they come in, you know, we're spending three years in a DPT program, uh, either at one given time or spread out throughout the course of those three years, you're doing clinical work, right? So you're paying a tuition for not necessarily being in a class, but you're out in a clinic, then you're somebody else's free cheap labor and, you know, they make money and, and everything that comes along with that. You know, and one of the things that I think you had mentioned was, you know, going from a three-year program to some sort of a two-year program and, 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 bunch of mixes within that uh i tried to read through the thread and, and got some stuff but what what kind of feedback did you get number one and then number two what would you do as director of uh profit university or, or whatever the case may be as to what you think is ideal because i do feel like the time needs is now to kind of reevaluate where we are as a DPT program and how we want to address that moving forward. Because I don't know that the three-year program as is, uh, is necessarily sustainable in the long-term. Well, I, you know, I will say that overall it was a pretty negative reaction for the most part. I think everybody was like, oh no, that'll never work. Right. And, and I think that's true. It'll never work until it does. 
So, you know, EIM and, you know, a lot of these programs across the nation are implementing these two-year hybrid programs anyway, with a third year strongly recommended residency, which 50% students do, 50 don't, um, you know, and then you're out working quicker, right? But my, my plan was uh, probably didn't verbalize it as well as I had thought. And there's, there's, I probably need to go back and re rehash it, but my, my thought was, okay, let's just make the, the tuition negligible. Let's just say maybe $5,000 a year, right, for two years. And the third year is a, uh, um, a residency where you're working, right? And so the first two years, you have your clinicals mixed in to those two years. So maybe at the end of the first year, there's an intro clinical four weeks on, you know, an acute care or something. Then uh, maybe uh, halfway through the second year, there's a six week clinical. And then maybe at the end of the third year, there's or second year again, there's a another eight week or 12 week clinical. Right. Then uh, once they graduate from that two year program, which we're already kind of doing with some of these hybrid programs, that third year becomes a, a mandatory working residency where they're getting paid maybe two thirds of a salary. And, you know, they're getting also hands-on clinical work, working towards a specialty that they want to be in maybe, or try at least, right? And then at that point, you know, this, the university then would have the clinic on campus or the, the clinics on campus to do, you know, what they needed to. And, and the patient revenue generated from these residencies would help pay for the, the tuition and stuff, right? So that was my uh, initial thought. And I think one of the arguments was like, oh, well, we're, you know, we're asking them to to do a, a third year residency and they don't even know what they want to do yet. Well, I would hope by after the two years, they kind of had an idea. Right. But even if not, let's say they do the third year residency and they culminate in, let's say, a an OCS. And they're like, nah, I didn't really like that. Uh, ortho's not my thing. I think I want to do sports. Well, guess what? When they graduate and they're making money or so. Right. Again, the, the hope was that that almost like the army, the first two years or so would be owed back to the university. So they'd work in the university system to where they could go through maybe a second residency if they wanted, or just work in a setting within the university, again, making money back for the university through patient care. And then they sit for the SCS at the end of that fourth year, you know, or whatever, until they maybe found a specialty that they liked, right? You'd still be there in the university system. So you could try a couple different things, you know? Um, but again, like these are just ideas. These are things that I think we definitely need to start talking about. I feel like it would be probably best for like a gram session or something like, you know, Hey, what's the new model? What, you know, what's working, what's not, you know, the hybrid seem to be helping out. Yeah. It's two years. It's a little quicker, but then again, the program I work in is a flex program, right? So it's four years. It's stretched out longer for people that are working full time or have a family to take care of or whatever. Right. So it's stretched out to a fourth year, uh, which is another totally different model. And is it working? I don't know. We'll, we'll see yet to be determined. But, you know, I think overall, there's there's a bunch of different ways to get this done. And we need to start having the conversation. Like you said, Alex, now's the time better than ever. Post COVID, we're all in a fog. We're coming out like new ideas are getting thrown around. Technology shown us that, you know, we can do Zooms and figure things out. I think now is a great time to start, you know, tearing things down and trying other things, you know, and and I think if I had, you know, my way with it, I think that PT schools should be freestanding universities, their own little thing where they can control the tuition, they can control the curriculum. You know, they probably obviously still have to go through CAPTI standards and all that. 
but I, I don't think we should necessarily have to have a tie with, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a state university or a private university, just have it be its own freestanding thing, you know, and, and from there, they should be able to then govern the way they do things and, and how that kind of looks to them and what, what's successful. Well, um, you mentioned Graham Sessions and at the last Graham Session at a fireside conversation, um, another business owner brought up this idea and personally, I thought it made a lot of sense. Now with nursing, you could start off being a CNA, get certified, make money. Then you go to school again, earn an LPN, make money, which is sort of equivalent to the PTA. But then from LPN, you could go again, not necessarily having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars because you can get the RN degree at some community college and you become a registered nurse, earning more money. So should we create a track in physical therapy that can allow a tech to go to a PTA, a PTA to go to a PT. And if you want to do that specialty stuff, like be a nurse practitioner and make more money, we do something like that. I honestly believe if we consider that and incorporate it, it would help with controlling the cost of obtaining that degree. And yeah, I mean, at, at that rate. They want to come to further. Yeah, you'd have exit ramps, right? You could get off whenever you wanted, stop your education whenever you wanted. You, Time-wise, you could come back in and continue your education whenever you wanted, you know, at your own speed. I think it's a good idea. It's a viable option. We just, again, you got to make sure that, you know, at some point you're, you're keeping your clinical skills up, right? So working helps with that for sure. And then it all does have to be kind of within a window, I think maybe a five to 10 year window where all the courses still matter and make sense, you know, because some of it does build on each other as you're going up that, that ladder. So, you know, I'm, I'm open to it. I think it's a, a viable option. I like the idea, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of it kind of comes down to CAPTI and a lot of its governing uh, bodies and ideas, which, uh, as we're seeing, a lot of them seem to be very arbitrary. You know, like the 50% terminal degrees to teach at a DPT program, like, that just seems very arbitrary to me. Because uh, there's a lot of things that you just can't take into a, account. Like, there could be a really great teacher and educator who's a DPT who's better than a PhD at teaching right, at actually getting the info across and learning, right, but because the PhD has the terminal degree, they're given, you know, a, a foot up, or, you know, they might, the PhD might be amazing at research, but not a really great educator and teacher, so, you know, it depends on what you're valuing there and why, you know, it doesn't, it just, it seems arbitrary to me, I don't know, and it just seems like they're not taking the right things into account when they're doing things, looking at things like that, you know. It's funny you mentioned that because we had that same conversation last week with with Allie and, and this was the same thing she said. And, you know, she's a professor over at Pitt. So it was just like, again, I, I think that, as I've said before, I think our profession is at a crossroads, um, you know, not only from the clinical side, but obviously the, the educational side. Uh, and, and I think now is the time to have these conversations. Now is the time 
to think outside the box and, and maybe do some things that are more disruptive on the surface, but can really bring about the change that I feel like we all want. Um, because we've been traveling down this path of, well, this is how it's always been done, right? We've always done it this way. And we, I don't know that it's getting us to where we want to be. Um, you know, as a whole, uh, reimbursements are going down. It's getting more expensive just to live, just to live, you know, never mind the cost of education and all that stuff, right? You throw all these things in, like, we, we've got to make a move. We've got to make a move and we've got to figure out how we can get ourselves positioned, you know, near, near and long-term uh, to be able to make an impact. And that kind of goes, all ties into, you know, as Mo mentioned earlier, where, where I like to say that as a profession, we sit at the kiddie table, you know, we're not taken seriously uh, for many different reasons. You know, we can't even amongst ourselves in the profession have a united front, right? Like we've got so much internal conflict uh, about how we treat patients, what we treat them with. Is it really beneficial? Uh, is it just placebo, you know, and all the, the nuances of those conversations. So like we're sitting here, you know, fighting amongst ourselves and the rest of the world is just pulling further and further away from us. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to, to see how we move forward these couple of years because CMS is making some changes. Um, so, you know, Mo and I are, are feeling that here in, in the home health arena. Um, you know, obviously outpatient private practices have been feeling it for a while. So we, we've got to get creative because the old way of doing things is, is not cutting it and will not cut it, I, I believe, uh, if we continue that way. So um, obviously you've been doing stuff on your own and, and like you said, thinking outside of the box and, and putting a lot of good stuff together, man. So kudos to you. Continue to, to do that. Um, we really again do appreciate your time uh this evening it was awesome good knowledge i hopefully everybody that's watching is able to pick up some stuff and, and, and kind of like we we said on this is be accountable to yourself uh and then you'll get the results because you're absolutely right you know none of us got to where we are overnight um even though it may seem like that on the surface you know we've put in a lot of time effort sweat equity um but that that's what it takes and as long as you put in the work you know eventually you'll get rewarded for that um so thank you very much again for your time thank you to all our our uh, subscribers listeners please share with family friends um and let's just continue to get the word out uh but again to thank you very much yeah, thank you guys. Like I said, keep doing the great work, man. Keep fighting the good fight. Like I love what you guys are doing. And like I said, it's it's just great to see good people doing good things. And and you know, again, it comes back to just do more, be more, you know, like nine to five just ain't cutting it. Like you you should strive to to want more for yourself, for your patients, for your you know, profession. It's just it, it's gonna result in better, better outcomes if you do, you know. So Absolutely, absolutely. If you really want to practice at the top of your license, do more, be more. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, Don't thanks. Subscribe. <laughs>